Browse the magazines at your typical newsstand or take in a late night TV infomercial and one thing becomes clear, fat loss is almost always associated with improved physical appearance. While most people want a lean, athletic-looking body, they don't always take into consideration the many improved health and performance benefits that come with losing fat. From better sport performance, improved strength, better cardio conditioning, increased energy, and healthier joints, to healthier weight, reduced stress, less anxiety and depression, and better sleep, the value of a great fat loss program goes far beyond helping you look good. On this edition of Kinetic Connections, we talk with renowned coach Nick Tuminello about his new book, Strength Training for Fat Loss, and why a strength-based fat loss program is one of the most valuable things you can do to feel healthy and improve the way you move in life, in the gym, and in sport. Hello and welcome once again to Kinetic Connections, the official podcast of Human Kinetics, the premier publisher for sports and fitness. I'm Maury Williamson, marketing and publicity manager at Human Kinetics. On this edition, we welcome coach Nick Tuminello, the owner of Performance University International, which provides hybrid strength training and conditioning for athletes and professional educational programs for trainers and coaches around the world. Known as the trainer of trainers, Nick is also the inventor of the Core Bar and has written articles for more than 30 major health and fitness magazines, including Men's Health, Men's Fitness, Fitness RX, and Fighters Only. His first book, the acclaimed Strength Training for Fat Loss, was released in March. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I really appreciate you, uh, you having me, and I'd love to get a chance to talk about some of the stuff in the book. Well, let's uh, jump right in. Uh, right off the top, uh, you talk in the book about how most books about fat loss are diet books, and most of those are simply based on fads. I, we see fads every year when it comes to uh, to fat loss and diet, and you have no problem being honest, telling people that, yes, fat loss requires a lot of hard work and consistency. Can you talk a little about your background and what spurred your interest in helping people use strength training to lose fat? Yeah, well, in regards to my background, I'll keep it very, very short. I literally grew up in a gym. Um, I was very lucky to have a, a mother who actually did bodybuilding in the early 80s and went through the aerobic fad, you know, the whole thing with the, with the, with the tights and, and the thong over the tights, you know, kind of <laughs> stuff back in the 80s. And uh, so I, I literally grew up in a gym. That's really the only job. Training is really the only job I've ever known aside from a few typical jobs every kid has in high school and whatnot. So I started training when I was 17, had my own training business when I was 20, opened my own studio when I was 21 and mainly focused on personal training, you know, a few professional athletes here and there and whatnot. So uh, that's a little bit about my background as far as where my inspiration comes from and what inspired me to want to give back to the fitness field, both the consumer with like this book and with the professional, with some of my educational courses and whatnot. But in regards to what you had mentioned about fads and being blatantly honest, that's really the issue. It's really two things. We are constantly bombarded with things that make big claims but have very little evidence. And what we do have evidence for and what we know works is that there really are no miracles or magic bullets. And the thing with these fads, the only thing that we know for sure is that fads come and go like clothing styles. If All we have to do is look back five years, look back 10 years, look back 15 years, and things tend to have a cycle. Right, but what stays consistently are the people that work hard. Talk about talk to athletes. They say, "Oh, it's always the fundamentals. It's always the fundamentals." Well, there's fundamentals of fat loss. There's fundamentals of building muscle, just like that. So the issue too is you don't. I have a saying that, and I tell trainers this in my educational courses: you don't have to worry about your information going out of date when you don't base it on fads. When you base it on principles, the the standard principles, the universal principles about hard work, burning more calories than you consume, consistency, 
eating, focusing on more healthier foods, you know, fruits and vegetables, that kind of stuff. That never goes out of style. It never has, never, it never will. Maybe you'll have subtle pink things with it here and there, but those things don't go out of style. They're well proven to work. So really what I'm saying in, in, that, in the intro of the book is this book is focusing on the proven principles versus the 5 or 10% of things that sound pretty cool that may be true, however unlikely to be true, and here's what they are. And unfortunately, they're simple, not easy, but they're so simple, they're too simple to be sexy, and that's why you don't see a lot of books written on them. Exactly. And I touched on this in the introduction, but there are a number of benefits to losing fat that go far beyond helping someone improve their appearance. A lot of people probably think that's the main reason you need to lose fat is to improve your appearance. But uh, I talked about one of those benefits is improved strength. And that's before we even talk about the strength training aspect of the book. Can you explain what you mean by relative strength and how fat loss helps a person build uh, even more strength? Sure. So relative strength is basically how strong you are relative to your own body weight right? Good example of relative strength would be a chin-up or a push-up. You may weigh 200 pounds, but only be able to do 100 pounds on the lat pull-down. So someone else who weighs 200 pounds who can do a chin-up, so the person can only do 100 pounds is unable to do a chin-up, means they're not, you know, relatively that strong. They can't even maneuver their body weight in certain movement patterns, in this case, pulling themselves up to a bar. So the analogy I give is, imagine if I put a 20-pound backpack on you and I said go do push-ups or go do chin-ups or even go run a sprint there's nobody who will argue that you're going to do less push-ups less chin-ups and run slower sprint slower with the backpack on than if we took it off well taking that backpack off is like taking 20 pounds of weight off or five pounds or 10 pounds or whatever so instantly just by dropping that weight as long as you can maintain muscle which is what the programs in the, in the book are designed to help you do and do very effectively and safely then that's exactly what you're doing. You're dropping that five pounds, that 10 pounds, whatever's realistic for you, and instantly your relative strength improves. Great, and you say a bit of a common advice you often hear in gym settings, that of doing low reps to bulk up and higher reps to get lean and toned, is actually false. Why is that, and how does that work differently for men and women? Well, physiologically, it's just patently absurd. It's not how our, our, our muscles work. I understand where it's come from. It's come from really a mis use of of terminologies, meaning like we hear guys saying like, oh, I want to get ripped or I want to build muscle or things like that. And you have more females saying, I want to get more toned. Okay. And then we will hear people who understand physiology and how the body works, the true science of how the body works. We will hear them say, oh, well, muscle has increased its tone and whatnot. So to clarify all this terminologies and what the reality is, your muscles only have two directions to, to go. They really only have one way to develop. They either atrophy, which is lose development, they get weaker, they get smaller, but nobody should want that. They stay the same, which is what nobody's training for, and or they hypertrophy, which is grow. That's it. Muscle doesn't turn into fat. Fat doesn't turn into muscle. Muscle is muscle. Fat is fat. You can burn fat. You can build muscle. So this whole idea that you can build long, lean muscles, we hear that, that kind of goes along with the tone crowd. That's also absurd because... You can't make a muscle longer. Muscles have attachment points, attachments and insertions, and they're attached to bones. And unless you make a bone longer, unless someone physically lengthens your bone, you cannot lengthen a muscle. You can make it more tolerant to stretch. That's a different topic, but that's flexibility. That's a, a mobility. That's not what we're talking about here. So that whole idea of that there's special rep ranges, getting back to the science again, 
that work on tone and work on ball is ridiculous for what I just said. You can only grow, stay the same, or atrophy from disuse. So when we look at the science on what causes hypertrophy, which is muscles to grow, muscles to increase their shape. So for, so for women, if you want a more toned glutes, what you're saying is, is the exact same thing a man says when he says, I want to build up my biceps. I want a firmer, rounder bicep. I want a firmer, rounder, more lifted glute. That is building muscle. There's no way you can get a firmer, more lifted anything without hypertrophying the muscle, period. Full stop. There, this is not debatable. When you need to look at what causes that effect, what causes muscle hypertrophy, we know it really comes from three mechanisms, which Brad Schoenfeld, who's another fellow human kinetics author who's got a great book. We're very familiar um, with Brad, called, yes. Yep, called The Max Muscle Plan. So a little plug for uh, Brad's awesome book, which is more geared towards building muscle. And he lays out the mechanisms, and this is all research-based. It's muscle tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. So higher rep ranges tend to develop more metabolic stress. Lower rep ranges tend to develop more muscle tension. Now, they're, they're not mutually exclusive, so it could be argued that I'm oversimplifying here. But the point is that all these different rep ranges – Lighter weight for higher reps, heavier weight for lower reps. Both of those can elicit the mechanisms for building muscle. And we also know from the research that mixing up rep ranges is more effective at building strength and muscle than staying with the same range. So this idea that there's special magical rep ranges for building muscle and special rep ranges for getting toned is, again, silly. I know I'm giving a long answer here, but I want to make sure I don't give anybody a false impression of things. The reason why this myth stays around really comes from the physique training world and the bodybuilding world where when they tend to get closer to their show, these competitors, they would drop their calories a little bit and they would up their repetitions. Now, upping repetitions does tend to burn, you know, you tend to burn a little bit more calories. And if you're already cutting calories, then you're creating more of a deficit. So they're getting an association between, oh, when I see higher reps, I see more fat coming off. And when you see more fat coming off, what do you tend to see more revealed? the shape of your body, which is your muscles. But this is a mistaken identity as far as what the cause is. The cause was the fact that they were in a caloric deficit, not because of the magical rep ranges that they were using. Well, important things to know for people who are just getting started. And when we look at people who are just getting started with a fat loss program, you say it's important to spend a few weeks developing a strength training base. Can you talk about why it's important to do that and some of the benefits of doing so? Sure. Well, basically these things are mutually exclusive. But if you look at your body like you look at a computer, you know, we have hardware and software. What we know is from the first few weeks of doing any sort of new activity, whether it be a new sport or, you know, especially weight training, many of the first changes that you see are neuromuscular, which is basically your brain is figuring how to bring more muscle into the game, how to more efficiently recruit those muscles that you haven't been using from leading a more sedentary lifestyle or whatnot. So we'll see drastic increases like that. So number one, we want to get familiar with how to do exercises with good technique. There's a reason why things we have good technique and we have not so good technique. Good technique minimizes stress on your joints, the stress that could possibly overload you and cause you injury, and maximizes stress on your muscles. So that's what we're looking to do there because we certainly don't want exercise to lead to injury. We want it to lead to positive results and making us better looking and more resilient, not putting us on the physical therapy table. That's number one. Number two... You have connective tissue, bone changes, things like that. So aside from getting familiar with the movements, you want to make sure you have some 
level of a physiological change where you've built up some sort of connective tissue strength to tolerate some of the more intense rep ranges and, and heavier loads that you will use. You certainly just don't want to jump right in and go from zero to 60. Now, you talk about the, uh, how the basis of strength training for fat loss is metabolic strength training, programs designed to not only give people great workouts, but also ones they actually enjoy. Again, you know, something really important for people just getting started to have some workouts they're going to enjoy doing. Can you explain the three metabolic strength training concepts you use in the book and why you believe they're both safer and more effective than other fat loss training methods? Sure. Well, let me clarify one thing, and this is mainly for my fellow trainers out there. Everything that we do is metabolic. We have a metabolism, and that's really what they So there's all kinds of metabolic pathways, which I'm not going to get into because most of the listeners, it's not of their concern. So really the reason why I've used that terminology is just to say that the focus of the protocols in this book are more geared towards creating a metabolic disturbance, hence metabolic strength training, versus they are in creating maximizing muscle development, which would be more like what Brad's book is talking about. That's really just the delineation. So the three concepts that I call the three C's of metabolic strength training are combinations, complexes, and circuits. And we have a chapter devoted to each in the book showing people how to use different pieces of equipment, uh, everything from body weight to barbells. And the reason why they are more effective at creating metabolic disturbance than traditional bodybuilding protocols is because they involve more muscles and put simply more muscles work, more calories burned. Right? It's like more cylinders in the engine. You're going to burn up more fuel. They're more repetitive you know, type effort, and they're high intensity. So when you put those three things together, you're going to get a higher metabolic demand within the training session itself and also through post-exercise, which is what's called EPOC, excessive post-oxygen consumption, which is basically the metabolic afterburn, some people call it, more uh, faster metabolism post the exercise. Third, we do know some interesting research is that you tend to burn less muscle even in a caloric deficit when you're using muscle. So there was a, I won't get into the, the whole sp nerdy specifics of the study, but there was an interesting study. It was extremely low calorie diet. It was about 800 calorie diet. And I, that's way too low that anybody would recommend, but they did it to eliminate any other possible factors. And one group did cardio, one group did strength training. I won't get into the specific. I think it was six weeks or eight weeks, something like that. And at the end, both groups lost weight, but the cardio group lost some muscle and some fat. The strength training group lost zero muscle and only lost fat, and they had a faster metabolism when they checked their resting metabolic rate at the end of the study. So you're less likely, if we, if we extrapolate from those results, you're less likely to lose muscle when you're using muscle versus focusing more on the cardiovascular aspects of training. And speaking of the actual workouts, you mentioned that workout duration is something heavily linked to increased metabolic effects. But you also say that doing longer workouts doesn't always mean you're getting better results. Why is that? That's a great question because it almost sounds like it's contradictory. There's a point, everything, there's a, there's a point of diminishing return at that point where you want to maximize your effort. So we can call intensity in this level, the way I'm referring to it is just effort. How many muscles are you working? How, how hard are you pushing? How much are you being challenged? But anybody who's done anything intensive for a while, whether it be manual labor or exercise, there's going to be a, a taper-off period at a certain point. And this whole idea that just going longer is not what I'm looking for. What we're looking for here is try to do your workout better, right? So if we think of everything else that we do in life, even I'll bring up a 5K race for a second. I know we're not talking, focusing on cardiovascular exercise, but everybody knows the goal of a 5K. The goal of a 5K is to either win the 5K, whether it be win your eight, you know, time for age or whatever, 
or beat your old time. Both of those, it's not who goes the longest, it's who went the fastest. It's who did the race better. And if you're into those things, you want to PR each time, which means a personal record. You want to do it better than you did it last time. The same thing applies here. It's not just about going longer because there's a point at which all you're doing now is just beating up on your body with, uh, and making it tougher for you to recover. Well, let's move on to nutrition for a, a bit. Uh, you bring up the saying about how a person can improve their fitness, but they can't out-train a poor diet when it comes to fat loss. Uh, you don't recommend any of the four main types of diets, which are those that cut calories, those that, those that cut fat, those that cut carbohydrate, and those that cut out certain types of foods. I, I think I saw a, a kind of a newer one recently where people are, I think, eating normal one day, fasting the next, uh, something along those lines. You don't recommend diets like these. Can you offer some reasons why you find things like that to be ineffective? Well, yeah. So you brought up the four, which is, you know, cut calories, cut fat, or cut carbohydrates, or eliminate certain types of foods, which are like some of, which is a very trendy thing to do right now. We hear all these demonizations of gluten and dairy and whatnot. And I talk about, well, I'm not really into those in, in the book. Some people generally have allergies, but that stuff is covered in the, in the book. I actually am into, this is where I kind of bring it in the back door, and I mention this in the book. I am interested in diets that cut calories, but not just by counting calories, not looking at the quality of food, right? So my recommendation is to start with looking at the quality of your food, and then we give that complimentary eating strategy in the book. And basically what it does is two things. When you focus more on the quality and you focus on using that simple strategy we lay out in the book, you'll end up consuming less calories and burning more. Why? Because more nutrient-dense foods, we've all heard empty calories, that's a non-nutrient-dense food. Non-nutrient-dense foods tend to be higher in calories anyway. So when you're focusing on more nutrient-dense foods, that's what we would consider clean eating or healthy eating or more healthy foods. They also are higher in a thermic effect. So, for instance, things with protein, you end up burning about, and this is scientifically found, this is not me just making up numbers here, for every 100 grams of protein that you eat, you're going to burn about 20 to 25 grams just in the digestive process, the thermic effect of food. And also protein is very satisfying, so it tends to minimize hunger cravings and whatnot. So there's a lot of other benefits to looking at food that way, looking at quality and what you're gaining, than just saying, oh, well, I'm going to cut calories but still eat a lot of non-nutrient-dense foods. Because we all know that if I cloned myself, let's say that 2,000 calories was something that put me in a caloric deficit. Well, let me make sure I don't get ahead of well, the one thing that is non-negotiable, I don't care what, how many articles other people read or whatnot, it's, it's not based on good science. What's non-negotiable, what is based on good science, non-negotiable, excuse me, is that in order to lose fat, you need to be burning more calories than you consume. Period. Full stop. There is no debate. If anybody debates it, they are wrong. They do not have the evidence to support that. That being said, it, that does not discount that we want to make sure that the quality of food is there. So it doesn't mean that if I took myself and my clone and let's say 2,000 calories was going to put us each in a deficit and we did the same workout, but I only ate 2,000 calories of ice cream and fast food and candy and my clone only ate 2,000 calories of fruits, vegetables, you know, lean proteins, things of that nature. Sure, at the end of 10 weeks or whatever, both my clone and I will have probably dropped some weight and probably dropped some fat because we were in a caloric deficit. But who's getting more nutrients? The vitamins that we need to stay alive, to keep our skin healthy, to keep our eyes healthy, to feel good, digestive health, all those things. Certainly the, the individual who's eating, focusing more on eating the 
more nutrient-dense foods is going to feel better. It's going to have more energy, going to have less digestive issues, all these other health parameters, which is why no doctors argue, hey, try to increase your fruit and vegetable intake and things of that nature. Now, when you talk about integrating the complementary eating strategy into your normal lifestyle, you actually don't recommend counting calories, at least at the beginning. When should someone think about keeping track of their calories? My recommendation to start really focusing on the numbers is once you've been utilizing the strategy we talk about in that book, the complementary eating, and you, you feel like it's plateaued you, where you don't know that you're not no longer dropping fat while maintaining the muscle, then it's the point where you may be in, a, in an equilibrium where we need to look at what numbers you're bringing in versus what you're burning and then make sure we keep a little closer measurements of that. And all that really is is a philosophy for lots of things in training. Start off general and only go to special and specific when general is no longer working for you. And if we look at back at these fad diets, all of them are so these very special, sexy, secretive type, you know, magic, oh, this is it, this is that. And again, it goes back to the general principles. What they all tend to have in common, which is why a lot of people get results with them, is that they get you to exercise more, they get you to eat more nutrient-dense foods. But what could be probably eliminated from most of them is all these other tend to be more faddish, tend to be pseudoscience, non-science type recommendations that, oh, you have to, this food is the cause of all disease or this type of exercise needs to be eliminated because of this or you only need to do this rep range or whatever. When we look at those things, those things aren't justifiable scientifically. So people were getting results because of the proven principles that they were using at the same time. So that's all just to focus on once general doesn't necessarily feels like it's not working for you as much, we go specific. And in this case, the specific would just be getting more specific with really focusing on the caloric numbers because the quality of your food is already there and it's already part of your normal eating habits. Great. And as far as supplements are concerned, supplements are huge in this country. You mention a few in the book that are scientifically proven to be safe and effective because they boost workout performance and help accelerate fat loss. Can you talk a little bit about those and why coffee drinkers probably have something to be happy about? Well, the three supplements I mentioned are creatine, monohydrate, I specific, I specified monohydrate as opposed to the alkalins and all the other ones, protein, like some sort of, you know, whey or casein protein supplement, which I already mentioned the benefits of protein and caffeine. These are the most well-documented supplements out there. They work. There's no question about it. Creatine is the most, and they're safe. Creatine is the most uh, researched supplement on this planet. I actually wrote a whole report, which I linked in the book that's free with the ex-editor of, of Men's Health Magazine, debunking the myths that, you know, that creatine is, causes uh, this and it causes that. Those are simply not true. Again, it's not what, what you see on, floating around the Internet. It's what the research says. It's what the evidence says. So uh, I won't get any more into it than that. But, yeah, those are all – nobody has to take any of those things. But the fact is there's billions of dollars just in this country alone spent on a lot of supplements that basically do nothing for you because most of them are unregulated and based more on good marketing than they are on good science. But there are a few out there that are quite legitimate, and those three are. And they can certainly help you maintain muscle and get more out of your workouts. Great. And uh, looking at the workout programs featured in the book, their foundation is based on circuit training. And most people listening to this podcast are going to be pretty familiar with circuit training. But the style you prefer is called big circuits. What are some of the elements of big circuit training? Big circuit training really is looking, when I say big, I'm just looking at the big movements, more compound, which you're not, not familiar with the word compound exercises as opposed to isolation exercises, just bringing in multiple joints in an exercise. So basically, it's a difference between a uh, deadlift versus a hamstring curl, right? 
it's more focusing on things with what people would call compound multi-joint exercises and covering the total body. So the way we break those down is big three circuit would be the three movement patterns, uh, upper body push and upper body pull and a lower body exercise, whether it be a hip oriented or a knee oriented. So think of squats and lunges as a knee oriented movement where most of the movement comes from your knee joint and think of exercises like Romanian deadlifts as a hip oriented type movement where the movement primarily comes from your hip joint. So that would be a big three circuit. A big four circuit basically splits up its two lower body exercises. So we have an upper body push and upper body pull, a lower body knee oriented exercise and a lower body hip oriented exercise. And the big five circuit is all four that I just listed in an additional targeted core torso type exercise. Great. And let's move on briefly on combination training. You point out that most people even a lot of personal trainers don't understand that total body workouts are not necessarily the same thing as total body exercises. What do you mean by that, and how does it affect the way you've designed the programs in the book? Sure. So a total body workout would be something like a circuit or where you just hit each muscle group. But when you're hitting certain muscle groups, uh, using exercises that focus on certain muscle groups at a time, that's not a total body exercise. Combination movements cover the entire body each rep. Right, So a good example that everybody's familiar with, and I don't necessarily recommend these in the book, is you know, the Olympic lifts, right? where you do things like a, a high pull or a snatch or a clean where you take a barbell and you lift it off the ground and you flip it up onto your shoulders. Now, there's a lot of technical training into exercises like that, which is why I'm not big on those for the general population and even a lot of serious exercises because they take a lot of athleticism just like you would have to learn how to play tennis or anything else. But that's a great example of an exercise that you that of a total body exercise. So there's lots of ways to use total body exercise. And it's also an example of a combination movement where it's a combination of, you know, lifting something off a hip-oriented movement and an upper body kind of pull at the top. So you can get creative with barbells, dumbbells, tables, and do various combinations. So a common combination that a lot of people may already be familiar with would be like a squat to a shoulder press where you hold the dumbbell at your shoulder, you squat down, and as you come up out of the squat, you press, and then as you go down into the squat, you lower the weights back to your shoulder. That would be a total body type exercise versus total body workout, which maybe I first do squats and then I do shoulder presses. Both are good, which is why both types of training is integrated into the workouts that are provided in the book. And how about uh, complex training? Uh, it appears to be a pretty convenient way for someone to get a full workout since it only involves one piece of equipment. That can be pretty handy in a crowded gym environment. Is moving fast and keeping the intensity high the best way to get an effective workout in that manner? Well, sure. So a complex and a combination are very similar. Let me, let's make that delineation so people understand the difference. The, the difference, both a complex and a combination involve the same piece of equipment as opposed to a circuit where you could be bouncing around different pieces of equipment or different stations, right? So maybe a band, maybe a body weight exercise. It doesn't always have to be with a machine or with dumbbells. So a combination, which we just discussed, would be taking the same piece of equipment and basically doing a single rep of exercises one after the other. So for instance, in the example of like the Olympic lift, you would do like a single deadlift and then a single clean where you flip it over and then you put it back down, a single deadlift and a single clean. Whereas a complex, you would do multiple deadlifts and then multiple cleans without ever putting the barbell down. You see? So the really nice thing about complexes is it's basically a circuit because you're doing all the reps of each exercise before you move on to the next exercise. 
but it's involving the same piece of equipment. So it's like a circuit using, well, it basically is a circuit using the same piece of equipment without the rest period of transitioning from one space to the other. So you have more time under work there. Again, all of these things, each of the three C's, complexes, combinations, and circuits, each have their own unique, they're all based on the same metabolic principles I discussed earlier, but they all do them slightly differently. So they all have their own benefits that they catch what the other one misses, So, which is why a workout that uses all three of them is, tends to be a little more fun, a little more comprehensive. But anyway, back to your question with complexes, they're very convenient to use, and especially in a crowded gym setting, because you can grab one piece of equipment and get an entire workout done that's very challenging based on that one piece of equipment. And in regards to speed, yeah, you can go a little faster with that to keep the intensity level up. That being said, because other exercises involve, like in the big circuits, you're going heavier weights, so obviously the reps are going to be slower because of that. That being said, you never want to sacrifice form. So you, you know, you want to go as fast as you can control, which means that you can demonstrate good technique. Great. And finally, you make some room uh, in the book for body weight training as a way to lose fat, type of training that's pretty convenient for people with limited space without access to a gym, limited time, can also help build that relative strength we talked about earlier. But there are a few drawbacks. What should people know about the limits of body weight training when it comes to fat loss? So it's not as much of a drawback, it's more of a limitation. So the biggest limitation with body weight training is the lack of pulling exercise options. Let's go back to what I talked about earlier about relative strength and the chin-up. There's a lot of people that can't even do chin-ups, especially if you're interested in losing fat. Maybe it's because you have more excess fat on, on your body. That's going to make it tough for you to do things like chin-ups. So if you can't even do chin-ups, or even if you can do, you have pull-ups, you have chin-ups with a uh, chin-up bar. Some people might even have access to that. But aside from that, your pulling options to help create a balanced workout from all the various fun push-up options you can do, because we all know there's all kinds of push-ups that you can do, variations. So you can end up developing a very imbalanced workout that way where you're doing a lot more pushing than you are pulling and if you have any physical therapist will tell you that you if you bias one type of muscle group always working you tend to develop a little bit of an unbalanced body there and that puts you at a higher risk of injury or can at least having something to pull yourself up to such as a chin-up bar and like a suspension type trainer right because now you can do more horizontal pulling versus vertical pulling which is a chin-up or having something that you can pull on, such as resistance bands, offers you a more balanced workout, a more comprehensive workout, because you can do a whole lot more exercises. And obviously, that's going to give you a more fun workout experience as well. So it's all around the benefit. So my recommendation for the, the serious at-home exerciser or someone who's traveling a lot is at least get yourself a set of heavy-duty resistance bands. The other benefit of that is this. When you're dealing with bodyweight training, you have one resistance vector that you're always working against, gravity. It's vertical. It's always vertical. But when we add the addition of resistance bands, whether we attach them low, like at the bottom of a door or at chest level, like at the door or something, we now can load the diagonal force vector and the horizontal force vector. So this basically gives us all the benefits of what a cable machine gives us for $40 or so, whatever the band costs, versus $4,000 plus, and something that's very travel-friendly that can be wrapped up and put in your carry bag. So it allows you to get, again, a more comprehensive workout, a more well-balanced workout, and a more fun, dynamic workout experience, which always helps, too. Providing more than 150 exercises and nearly 30 ready-to-use workouts designed to help you begin transforming your body 
Strength Training for Fat Loss grants you access to Nick Tuminello's elite training program, also helps you put a face to the voice as Nick is featured in many of the exercises he recommends. Along with workouts for the gym and the home, it includes nutrition guidelines to enhance results as well as details on the principles behind the program. If you're looking to burn fat for aesthetic, performance, and health purposes, we highly recommend you pick up a copy. Nick, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us on Kinetic Connections. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was Coach Nick Tuminello, author of Strength Training for Fat Loss and an innovator in the field of human performance and training. You can now find the book in bookstores everywhere or by visiting us online at humankinetics.com. On our website, you can also read excerpts from the book and learn more about Nick. For more of Nick's work, check out his popular fitness training blog at performanceu.net. We appreciate your feedback about Kinetic Connections. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at publicity at hkusa.com. That's publicity at hkusa.com. I'm Maury Williamson, Marketing and Publicity Manager at Human Kinetics. Our engineer was Roger Francisco. We appreciate you joining us for this edition of Kinetic Connections.